When Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, and if you well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young woman you were? See, he is willing to you tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk, and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wing over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow towns will know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. So she laid at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man has done for her, saying, These six messages of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. Morning, church. Sometime after their father's death, uh, Naomi's two sons each 
marry two Moabite women. One name is Orpah, the other Ruth. And these young newlyweds lived with their widowed mother in a foreign place for nearly a decade, and tragedy strikes again. Naomi is husbandless. That's enough grief to last a lifetime. And then the unthinkable happens. Naomi's sons die too. So homeless, husbandless, now sonless, Naomi's hopeless. With empty stomachs and hollow souls, Naomi and Ruth make this their trek back to Bethlehem. And it's no wonder that upon returning to Bethlehem, uh, Naomi tells her friends who start to recognize her, she says, don't call me Naomi, call me bitter. Call me bitter. For the, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. That's chapter one. It's bleak, isn't it? Naomi is nowhere close to seeing and sensing the, the hidden kindness of God in her life. Not yet. We might even say that she's, she's numb to God's hidden kindness. All she can see are dark and distressing clouds, uh, the dark and distressing clouds of her own pain over heaven. But then we get to chapter 2, which Josh covered for us last week, and something remarkable happens. Light begins to peek through the dark clouds, and Naomi begins to see and sense in a fresh way, the warm, bright rays of God's kindness in her life again. Now, put yourself in the story of this woman. She is, see, see if you can't see for yourself um, God's kindness peeking through Naomi's cloud. See if you can't feel for yourself the warmth of those bright rays that she would have felt. So the first glimmer of light we see in verse 1. We meet a, a wealthy man named Boaz. And we learn that this wealthy man is a worthy man. What a man, what a man, what a mighty good man, right? <laughs> Boaz is a mighty good man because he's a godly man. And as the, the story unfolds, we see and sense more and more of the warm, bright rays of, of God's veiled kindness. We see it and sense it in Ruth, who in the midst of all her pain and grief and insecurity, is faithful to her mother. She clings to and cares for her. Uh, we see it in how God then mercifully leads Ruth to glean in no one else's field but Boaz. And we see and sense it in Boaz is this unexpected, generous favor toward Ruth. Do you see it? You feel something, what Naomi might have been feeling, the warmth of God's kindness as it's breaking through those dark clouds. Naomi sees it, she feels it, and she is moved by it. Like so much so, the bitter old Naomi is singing and dancing to a new song by the end of chapter 2. The Almighty has dealt bitterly, bitterly with me, has given way to his kindness, has not forsaken the living. Naomi sees and senses the bright, warm rays of God's hidden kindness in her life again. All that darkness in chapter 1 has already dissipated. And chapter 2 is just it's brimming with hope. You've got Boaz, this God-saturated man. He's a worthy man. He does a lot of worthy things. You've got Ruth, this God-dependent woman. She's 
a worthy woman too. Boaz blesses her because it's clear to him, here's a woman who's taking refuge under the wings of God. And then you have Naomi, who's now this God-exalting woman again. All three filled up with hope in God after seeing and sensing the hidden kindness of God at work in their lives. And as Ruth, too, comes to a close, I think we're confronted with a question. What happens when these ordinary people, filled up with hope in God, are awakened to his hidden kindness in their lives? What happens when these ordinary people, filled up with hope in God, are awakened to his hidden kindness at work in their lives? And Ruth 3 spells out for us the answer. Here's what I think this part of the story of Ruth is teaching us this morning. Hope-filled people who see and sense God's kindness and work in their lives live sacrificially for others. We're going to see this in Naomi, Naomi here in a bit. When Naomi sees and senses God's kindness and his kind providence in her life again, it animates her. It moves her, it causes her to dream up of ways to help Ruth. We're going to see this in Ruth and Boaz, too, when, when a young Moabite widow and an old Israelite bachelor begin to see and sense God's kindness and his kind providence at work in their lives. It animates them, too. It moves Ruth to pursue risky love. And it moves Boaz to show mercy and seek out justice. And the question is, what about you? What about me? Does the presence of God's kindness at work in your life ever end? Are you ever moved to love and live for others because of all the little ordinary ways that God has shown kindness to you? Here's where I think the story of Ruth 3 confronts us. One lesson I think that we're meant to learn is that you cannot truly encounter the kindness of God and not do something about it. Listen, if we're filled up with hope in Jesus this morning, if you have seen, if you see and sense God's kindness at work in your life, husbands, you're going to look for ways to lay down your life for your wife this week. Or wives, you're going to look for ways to love your husband. This kids, kids in the room, you're going to look for ways to love your siblings and obey mommy and daddy this week. Church, we're going to look for ways to sacrificially love one another and do intentional spiritual good to one another this week. We're going to dream up of ways to, to love the outsider and show mercy to the marginalized. You cannot have a real encounter with the kindness of God in your life and never anything about it. The force of God's kindness in your life is meant to propel you. It's meant to propel you into loving action. So we're going to put ourselves now back into the story, back into the story of Ruth 3. We're going to dig in. Let's go. Four movements. Um, we're going to follow each of these scenes. There's four movements in this unlikely, unexpected love story. We're going to walk verse by verse through these scenes. First, there is a risky plan. 
Next to them, we see a courageous proposal, and then an unexpected promise, and then finally, an overwhelming provision. Plan, proposal, promise, provision. First, Naomi's scheme, she schemes up this really risky plan for her daughter-in-law. Read with me verse 1. Then Naomi said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Pause here. Two things that, that we're reminded about Boaz. One, Boaz is a relative of Ruth and Naomi. This word relative shows up in chapter 2, verse 1. And it's, it can be translated as kinsman. All this means is that Boaz, Boaz is an eligible bachelor. That's what it means. But not just eligible for anyone to marry. Naomi's saying, Ruth, Boaz is uniquely qualified to be your husband. Two, Naomi says to Ruth, this eligible bachelor, Boaz, is going to be winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. And you see, what would happen is after uh, the barley had been harvested, they would take it to this secluded area, like on the side of a hill or something. And in the evening, when there was a cool breeze uh, that would be cutting through the hillside, they would toss the barley up into the air. And, and as the wind is blowing to blow away the chaff, and the grain would fall to the ground. And this, this is what winnowing is. So Boaz is going to be winnowing barley tonight. How Naomi knows this? I'm not sure. She might have like Boaz's schedule or something. Somehow she knows he's going to be there. She knows that he's winnowing tonight. But the thing we don't want to miss is where Boaz is planning to win. Naomi says, this is all going to be going down on the threshing floor. Now, the, the threshing floor was not a safe place for women to be. This is where hookups took place. Before hookup culture was a thing, this is where hookups took place. If you were in Ruth's day, the threshing floor was known to be a place of sexual promiscuity and prostitution. This is, this is no place for a God-fearing woman to be hanging around. Naomi's scheme is fraught with risk. And as, as I'm reading and rereading this story this past week as a dad, I'm putting myself in the story and I'm thinking there is no way I'm sending my daughters into a situation like this. So why would they know me? It's, it's, it's not that she doesn't know the danger. She knows. She knows it's risky. But she also knows who Boaz is. Boaz is a worthy man. That is his reputation in the land. And she's trusting that he's not going to take advantage of Ruth. So Naomi concocts this plan. She tells Ruth, verse 3, Wash and anoint yourself. Put on your cloak. Go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he finishes eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he'll tell you what to do. 
between Naomi and Ruth, the two of them, right, kicking back in the living room or something, shooting the breeze, then interrupting this moment of silence or something, Naomi's like, she leans in, says, Ruth, my daughter, I want rest for you. I want you to be full. I want you to be happy. I want you to have a family. And I think Boaz would be a really good husband. So here's what I'm thinking. Here's what I'm thinking. Ditch those old clothes that you're wearing. Wash yourself up. Put on some new clothes and some perfume makeup. You're just thinking, all right, I guess I can do that. Then things turn. For the sheep. If you're reading this story back in Ruth's day, you'd be blushing big time at this next part. If you've got kids in the room next to you, as a parent, you're covering their ears with what comes next. <laughs> Naomi keeps going. She's like, then... Make your way over to the threshing floor. Don't ask me how I know it's going to be there. I just do. Okay, it's going to be there. Make your way over to the threshing floor. Wait until he falls asleep. Then, wait for it. Uncover his feet. And lie down. Ruth is like, what is going on? Three words in the Hebrew. All three with sexual overtones here. Uncover, feet, lie down. This is not something you just do with anyone. And you can just imagine Ruth asking Naomi, okay, all right, what happens when he wakes up? Like, what happens when Boaz wakes up? What do I do? And Naomi says, don't worry about it. They'll tell you what to do. <coughs> if you are Ruth, what would you be saying to your mother-in-law? Like, if you're Ruth, what would you be saying? If, if, if it were me, if I were a woman, and Ruth, <laughs> I'd be saying, like, Mom, I love you. This is crazy. This is crazy. But that is not what Ruth says. Look at verse 5. She says, all that you say, I will do. And what we see next in the story is that she does everything that Naomi asks her to do, sort of. She deviates from the plan, we'll get there. But before we do, there's, there's a detail. There's a detail in all of this that the author doesn't want us to miss. Remember, Naomi is a hope-filled, God-exalting woman again. She's seen and she's sensed the hidden kindness of God in her life. Remember the question that we're confronted with in Ruth 3. What happens when these ordinary people filled up with hope in God are awakened to the same kind of support in their lives? Well, for Naomi, the force of God's kindness in her life propels her to pursue one thing for Ruth. Do you see it there back in verse 1? She says, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? One word, rest. I want safety and security and care for you. Rest for Ruth looks like finding a husband and having a family of her own. And in a sense, Naomi's desire for Ruth has been the same all along. Back in chapter 1, if you remember verse 9, we read, The Lord grant you, this is Naomi, the Lord grant you that you may find rest. Same word that's being used here in chapter 1. 
3, verse 1. Find rest in the house of your husband. Now, the difference here, the difference here between chapter 1 and chapter 3 is that in chapter 1, Naomi is, she's empty, and she's bitter, and she's hopeless. And in chapter 3, she is full, and she's happy, and she's hopeful. And it's all because she has seen and she sensed in a fresh way God's hidden kindness work in her life. So notice what's going on here in chapter 3. Naomi's not telling her daughter-in-law again, go find rest. She's actively planning, she's actively playing a part in pursuing rest for Ruth. She dreams and schemes on Ruth's behalf. You see that there, the difference. Does the, does the presence of God's kindness at work in your life, does it ever animate you in this way? Think about that and tuck it away. We're going to come back to this question. All right, so it's, it's evening now. Ruth's all dressed up. She's heading down to the threshing floor. And then scene two, Ruth's courageous proposal. Now, again, put yourself in Ruth's shoes. You're hiding out somewhere behind some rock or um, some crevice or something. And, and your eyes, your eyes are locked in on Boaz, right? Locked in on Boaz. Tired after a long day of winnowing, you see Boaz, he's a good meal, drinks a glass of wine, and he heads off to bed. Your eyes still locked in on Boaz. And eventually, you notice that he falls asleep. And you're thinking to yourself, all right, okay, you're psyching yourself up, this is it. This is the moment. Your heart is beating a mile a minute. You're, you're quietly, you quietly tiptoe your way over to Boaz. Then, verse 7, you actually do the unthinkable. You uncover this man's feet, and then you lie down next day. Oh, man. It's happening. This is, it's happening. This is it. Boaz's naked, dirty feet are exposed. Ruth's just lying there. And you know she's not sleeping, right? Ruth is not sleeping at all. Her eyes have got to be locked in on Boaz. And then we get to verse 8. Look at verse 8. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. Now put yourself in Boaz's shoes. It is the middle of the night. You are fast asleep. Something startles you, probably a cold breeze on your bare legs, right? And you turn over, and when you turn over, you see a woman. You see a woman at your feet, and two eyes staring right, right at you, right? And two eyes staring right at you. I'm thinking like, just like a few days ago, um, parents, you know the feeling of like, your kids come downstairs, and you're like fast asleep. Kids come downstairs, and you like sense, you know something's there. Someone is in the room. You don't hear a voice. I like turn over, and I've got two eyes locked in. Um, and it was, I can't remember if it was Ava or Jane, but like, that, that's the, a moment like this. Like, he turns over, two eyes locked in on him. It's brief. What is going through your mind right now? Like Boaz, 
What is going through his mind? He asks next, who are you? We don't know, like, it's like, who, who are you? It's like everyone's sleeping. He's like, who are you? Who is this woman? This is where Ruth now deviates from the plan. Listen to her response, verse 9. She says, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Now there's something subtle and really special going on here that I don't want us to miss. If you remember back in chapter 2, verse 13, Ruth tells Boaz, she says, You have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. That word, uh, servant, shows up again here in verse 9, but it's not the same word that you, uh, Ruth uses to describe herself in chapter 2. When, when she says, I'm a servant back in chapter 2, she's saying, she's saying I, I'm a slave. I'm one of your slaves. Like, you can't get any lower than this. But when she says, I'm your servant in chapter 3, in so many words she's saying, Boaz, I, I'm available. I'm available marriage. This is a deeply personal and relational word. I'm Ruth, your servant. I'm available. Then she says, spread your wings over your servant, for I am a redeemer. Another, now not so subtle, but again, really special thing going on here that we need to see. Ruth is extremely calculated with her words. She says, Boaz, spread your wings over your <coughs> This isn't the first time that we've heard language like this, but turn back to chapter 2 with me. Chapter 2, verse 12. This is, this is Boaz speaking to Ruth. She's, uh, she, he says, The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Ruth is in... She, Ruth is... She's using Boaz's words on Boaz. Here's what I think is going on here. I think, I think Boaz's words, they've, they've been in Ruth's mind and heart. Not in a romantic way or anything like that. There's no romance in chapter 2. But then we get to this midnight moment on the threshing floor, and things are different. When Ruth says to Boaz, spread your wings over me, she's saying... Remember when you said all those really nice things about finding my protection and my safety and my provision in God? Well, Boaz, I want you to become part of that in my life in a big way. I want you to pursue me in marriage. This is an unlikely, unexpected love story. And this right here, this is a risky and courageous proposal. Ruth, remember, she's a foreigner. Ruth's a foreigner. She's young, poor, she's embarrassed, a Moabite woman. She brings absolutely nothing to the table. No status, no wealth, no offspring, nothing. One author says, it is irrational to think that any respectable man would choose a barren woman. The, the more I consider Ruth, and I wonder if this is true for you, the more I consider Ruth, the more I see myself in her. 
Like in God's economy, I'm Ruth. I need rescue. And I bring absolutely nothing to the table. And every one of us here this morning is Ruth in God's economy. You need rescue too. You bring absolutely nothing to the table like Ruth. All you bring is need. You're at Jesus' feet like Ruth is at Boaz's. You're helpless. But here's the beauty of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that, that in God's economy, all you need is need. You don't need to clean yourself up, pull your act together, somehow make yourself presentable, be accepted by God. You, you don't need to ask the right questions or have the right answers, you don't need any of this. All you need is need. Here's how one ancient prophet of the Old Testament put it. He says, come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come empty, leave full. That's the promise of the gospel. That's what you get. When you get Jesus. Don't despise Ruth. See yourself in Ruth. Alright, so Ruth, she makes this courageous proposal. Spread your wings over your servant. But then, then her courage gives way to sacrifice. Look what she says next at the end of verse 9. It's so interesting. She says, For you are a redeemer. So if the word rest was the key that unlocked verses 1 through 5 for us. The word redeemer is the key that unlocks verses 6 through 9 for us. We're going to unpack this little word more in the coming weeks. Basically, Ruth is appealing to two Old Testament laws here, the kinsman redeemer law and the leveret law, which together they say something like this, that the, the closest male relative to a widow's deceased husband is responsible to make sure that his, his land and his family are cared for. Now, we don't know if Boaz is going to fit the bill. We'll find that out soon, next verse. But again, there's something really, really subtle, but really special going on here that we can't miss. Just like Naomi, the force of God's kindness in Ruth's life, it just it propels her into action. It propels her to risk it all and sacrificially pursue one thing for Naomi. That's rescue. Boaz, she says, you are a redeemer. Naomi pursues rest for Ruth, and then we see Ruth pursuing rescue for Naomi. Think about it. Who, whose lineage and legacy is on the line? It's not Ruth's, right? It's Naomi's. Ruth isn't pursuing a husband for herself. She is she's battling for Naomi. She's fighting to save Elimelech's legacy. Talk about sacrifice. Wow. This is an incredible display of sacrificial love. The force of God's kindness in Ruth's life, it propels her to give up the dream of settling down with with some young guy, remember Boaz is going to say in verse 10, he says, may you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, for you have not gone after young men, 
Ruth pursues rescue for Naomi. What does that remind you of? Ruth's pursuit of Naomi's rescue is it's a beautiful display of sacrificial love, but, but it only points us to an even greater pursuit of sacrificial love in the person of Jesus. He gave up his honor and status and the safety of heaven itself and came down to us. He came low. He became one of us, weak, poor, needy. The Bible says that though he was rich, though he had everything, the Bible says Jesus became poor. He gave it all up for our sake. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2. Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself and he took on the form of the servant. Jesus gave up everything, everything so that we could have everything. Praise God for this. Okay, so Ruth pursues rescue for Naomi. This is a courageous thing that she's doing. It's, it's almost unthinkable, really. A Moabite woman has just proposed to an Israelite man. At this point, we're, we're, we're holding our breath. Like, like, what in the world is Boaz going to say to this? How is he going to respond to Ruth? Verse 10. Look at verse 10. Boaz says, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. And we are breathing a collective sigh of relief. May you be blessed. You have made this last kindness greater than the first. Ruth, the kindness that you are showing me right now is greater than, than the kindness that all the kindness that you've shown your mother-in-law in the last 10 years. Then he says, verse 11, I will do for you all that you ask. This is, this is a stunning, stunning display of kindness. Boaz loves God. And Boaz loves Ruth. I will do for you all that you ask. Ruth, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to make sure that your mother-in-law is cared for and provided for too. Naomi has seen and sensed the kindness of God at work in her life. Ruth has seen and sensed the kindness of God at work in in her life, and now Boaz sees and senses the kindness of God at work in his life. He's tasted God's kindness, and he can't help but do something about it. So he pursues radical kindness with Ruth, and he gives her this unexpected promise. There, is, there are no strings attached to this promise. No strings attached to Boaz's kindness. Sometimes, I think we're nice to people around us because we want something in return, right? That is not what's going on here. Boaz is not looking to see what he can get out of Ruth. This is radical kindness. Are you pursuing kindness like this in your life? So Boaz, his, his kindness continues to spill over. He says in verse 12, now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there's a redeemer here than I remain here tonight. And in the morning, if he will redeem you, good. 
Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Boaz might not get what he wants in the end. When all this is said and done, Boaz might be a groomsman at Ruth's wedding. And not to be husband, right? But, but you see, Boaz, he, he's not faced by this. Not in the least. Whether, whether he says, or, or whether he's going to be saying, I do at the end of this thing or not, Boaz is about one thing and one thing only, and that's Ruth. Care for Ruth. The kindness of God at work in Boaz's life is like it's like a freight train without brakes barreling toward Ruth and Naomi. And it just keeps on picking it up speed. Not only does Boaz give Ruth an unexpected promise, he gives her last an overwhelming provision too. Look at what he says in verse 15. He says, bring the garment that you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. That's, that's something like 60 to 90 pounds of barley, like the most barley she has ever gotten from this barley dude, from this barley dude. Like, it's the most <laughs> barley she's ever gotten. And the altar says, then she went into the city. And you can imagine the scene, right? Imagine this moment. Naomi's... Uh, Naomi's probably not sleeping at all, too. She's put in a really sleepless night in Bethlehem. Her mind has just been racing all night. Like, is Ruth okay? What's Boaz going to say? What's he going to do? Then she sees the silhouette of a woman coming over the hill with barley on her back. And it's Ruth. She runs to meet her. Verse 16. How did you fare, my daughter? Literally translated in the, in the Hebrew, like, whose are you, Ruth? Whose are you? Are you Boaz's? Ruth drops the barley off her back and spills all the details. And she says, verse 17, these six measures of barley, verse 17, these six measures of barley that he gave to me, he gave to me, for he said, you must not go back empty-handed to your mother. Back in chapter 1, Naomi said, remember this, she said, I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Interesting. And now when we get to Ruth, chapter 3, in chapter 3, Ruth is, is going away empty. She's going, Ruth is going away empty, and she's coming back full. And her fullness is a promise to Naomi. This is an overwhelming provision from Boaz because of what it means to Naomi. Boaz is saying, I will make sure that you're full again. I will make sure that you're full again. And that's where chapter 3 ends. This is, by the way, this is the last we're going to hear of Ruth and Naomi. And we're just left waiting, anticipating, wondering what is going to happen next. And we're going to have to keep waiting and see if we know how the story goes because we 
the story, but we're going to have to wait. Verse 18, Naomi says, wait, my daughter, until you learn what the matter, how the matter turns out. For the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. And so we wait. But in our waiting, and before we wrap, just two really quick points of application. One, uh, Ruth's story is, is our story. God's kindness is at work in all the little, mundane, unseen, ordinary moments in our lives. And one thing that the, the book of Ruth encourages us to do is to grow attentive to the hidden kindness of God at work in our lives. To grow attentive to God's kindness in our lives. So where do you see and sense the warm, bright rays of God's kindness? Do you see it in the way that your, your spouse loves and cares for you? Do you see it in the way that your church family helps you follow after Jesus? Every day, ordinary stuff. Do you see it in the, the generosity of others? Do you see it growing attentive to the hidden kindness of God in your lives? Take the time. To, to grow attentive to God's kindness in your life. And second, do something about it. Do something about it. Like when Naomi was awakened to the hidden kindness of God in her life, she pursued rest for Ruth. And when Ruth was awakened to the hidden kindness of God in her life, she pursues rescue for Naomi. And then when Boaz was awakened to the hidden kindness of God in his life, he pursues Radical kindness and sacrificial love for Ruth and for Naomi. Have you been awakened to the kindness of God at work in your life? If so, what are you doing about it? What am I doing about it? Let me encourage you to start small. Start with those who are nearest to you your spouse, your kids, church family, your friends, co workers. But don't just start small. Dream big, too. Dream up of ways that you can sacrifice your time and your, your energy and your things to bless those around you. Dream up of ways to love and serve those around you. Ways, ways that will be costly to you. Dream up of ways that you can pursue the outsider and love those on the margin. Dream big. And then... Go do something about it. Hope-filled people who see and sense God's kindness at work in their lives, they live sacrificially for others. And listen, we need so much help and grace to do this. We need grace to do this. And so we need to ask God often. We need to come to the Lord often and ask Him to help us pursue this together. So let's Go to the Lord now, and we'll, we'll pray together, and we'll ask Him to give us some grace. Father, we thank you for this incredible, unlikely, unexpected love story. We thank you for your hidden kindness of work in our lives. And we pray that, that that would propel us, that that would cause us 
to look outward and pursue radical and risky kindness and love with one another. Would you give us the grace to do these things? Father, would you help us to keep our eyes locked on Christ who gave up everything who risked heaven to come and to die on the cross for us. What radical love and kindness you have shown us in your son, Jesus. Help us to be grateful for this. I pray that it would just propel us toward one another in pursuing kindness in these ways. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So one of the, the visible signs that God has given us of his kindness it is right here at this table. It's, it's a visible reminder to us of how deep the love and kindness of God runs. His kindness, it didn't just stop at a name. 